injuries are going to happen. That's the nature of the beast. So, I mean, uh, uh, when one guy goes down, another guy's got to step up. If they're good enough, they'll make it tough on anybody that returns. That's the way I would look at it if I was a player. What a great opportunity. 7.03 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. If things sound slightly different today, that's okay. It's natural. We are coming to you from sort of the Kintech studio. Our big old-fashioned studio that we're normally in is being renovated. So we're in some kind of hybrid podcasting studio slash closet for the time being. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I feel like I, I sound really good on this mic, though. You do. You have a very... Hi there, everyone. You have a very sultry voice this morning. I, I think it's just strong. It's strong. Listen to that. Strong. strong. Yeah. You know when you're a we little... We are like college kids. Like our, our first radio station. <laughs> so dumb. Talking over each other constantly. Like, listen to my voice. Low, 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 low. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look at the microphone. Uh, okay. Uh, you, you have mentioned in the past that sometimes that when you're feeling a little bit under the weather, you yeah. actually get that cool voice that you can't get in But I actually times. feel good and I still... Feel smooth. You just got to you get the sniffs a little bit. You got and I have yeah. that too. We've been we've both been battling cold. We're warriors, really. Mm-hmm. There's there's hockey players, and then there's us on the warrior scale in terms of playing through the pain. Okay, and then actually, it's funny because actual warriors are below us. That's true. Yeah, that is very true. You heard that clip coming back from break. That was uh, the 16th most handsome coach in the NHL. Also, the Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau talking about the injuries that his team has sustained, how it provides an opportunity for some other players to step up. Uh, and that was one of the big stories uh, in a micro yesterday. Macro story yesterday was from our good friend Elliot Friedman, he of Sportsnet, uh, saying that according to multiple sources, NHL teams have now been given some guidance. Yes, guidance on where the salary cap could be going over the next few seasons. We actually had a text in to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. It's unsigned, so it's from Gary. And Gary writes, why is everyone so certain the cap is going up? Inside the sports bubble, is anybody noticing what is going on with the economy in a gate-driven business? Who is going to be able to afford tickets? Well, Gary, all I can say is this. Frege, in what he called projections and educated guesses, said that the cap could rise as much as $10 bucks over the next few years. So we all know where it is right now. $82.5 million is the ceiling. You can expect another incremental bump next year where it gets to $83.5. The end game is where you get to 88 million, and then you start going north of 90, which will be good news to a lot of NHL players, including Elias Pettersson. Yeah, Elias Pettersson has two years left on his bridge contract, so those will be flat cap years. But when he's a restricted free agent and won't have many restricted free agent years left, it'll be mostly UFA years. For example, if they sign him to a one-year contract, that's bad news for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, so they'll be looking, hopefully, assuming Pedersen plays well over the next two years, to lock up Elias Pedersen to a long-term contract, probably an eight-year deal, and there's going to be more cap space there. So that's good news for Petey. 
Here's what I was wondering about when I read this report, because it wasn't necessarily Elias Pettersson, even though it fits nicely. It's like, oh, that's nice for Petey. It's going to be flat for the next couple of years. But as soon as he's a free agent, the cap goes up. That's good news for him. How might this affect Bo Horvat negotiations, knowing that this rise is going to go, is coming probably, assuming the world doesn't fall apart again, which it could. Seems like it's hanging by a thread every day. Because uh, I can imagine the Canucks sitting there in negotiations and going, well, Bo, we can't give you like a, like a ton of money. Look at some of the contracts that have been signed. They, you know, There's a lot of people that have taken less money in this situation because of the flat cap. And he'd be like, yeah, but that'll only be like one year of my contract in a flat cap environment. The rest, everything is going to go up and we're going to see salary inflation again. And we're going to see these GMs come out of their boots on July 1st or whenever the free agency date is. And it'd be like, they're going to, you know, be dumb again <laughs> with the contracts. Like, why, why can't I get some of that in my, in my contract? So it's, it's almost like bridging two different eras. Mm-hmm. You got to bridge the flat cap era with the, let's call the the next era, the back to normal era. And I wonder if that is a challenge in negotiations um, going forward. Because from all we can surmise, this is just a matter of money and term. Because here's what we know about the Horvat situation, right? He wants to stay in Vancouver. He's the captain of the Canucks. The Canucks have said they want to keep him. So normally when that happens, you find a deal. But sometimes it gets complicated. Because if I'm Horvat, I'm sitting there going, hey, with all due respect to Brock Besser, I think I'm a more important player for the Canucks than Brock Besser. And you could make that argument. You might disagree with it, but you could make the argument. So his cap hit, Brock Besser's on a three-year deal, is $6.7 million. We're almost there. So Horvath's probably wants that. Right? A lot of the time, you don't necessarily look at the league-wide comps. You look at the guys on your team. And I think that's, that's why the Canucks ran into trouble in, in some cases with, with their team, like in the last few years. You know, people will be like, well, this guy's making this much, and he ain't doing much. So I better get more than that. So it's a complicated negotiation in that sense. There's a lot of factors, and there are arguments that both sides could make that are legitimate arguments. Sure. I think from a Canucks perspective, the goal is to, and it's a tricky one, make no mistake, is to figure out how to get a guy on a deal that's going to look really good when the cap opens back up. Remember, we're all working on a premise here that when the return to normal happens, It means all business returns to normal. This is a league where from 2013 to 2020, right before the pandemic hit, the cap rose every single season, like clockwork. Now, the the amounts that the cap went up weren't always uh, equal and parallel. Sometimes there was a bigger jump than others. But the reality was, and Gary Bettman and Bill Daly would come forth and say it, revenues are growing, the business is healthy, ergo... Uh, we're going to raise the cap. The cap is going to go up. There's kickers in the CBA, et cetera, et cetera. Then it hit a standstill, right? The world came to a pause. Economics went bananas. And all of a sudden, everyone had to operate in a flat cap. I bring this up because, and as you said in the notes, a guy like Connor Garland, 
with his contract and with his output and with his age should be a valuable contract. It should be seen as an asset. It should be seen as a yeah. good deal for a good player that is portable and movable. But under a flat cap world, and this is an astute point that you put here, the flat cap is just decimated values for guys like him. So before I let you go on the Garland thing, I'll say going back to Horvat and everybody else, your goal is to find a contract that in the new economy is going to be seen as a good deal. For example, Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes at under $8 million is a great deal now. Imagine if the cap gets raised to $10 million from its current total. Getting a player like Hughes who can do what he can do and play the kind of minutes that he can play and give you the kind of output that he can give you at under $8 million might not just be a good deal. It might be one of the best deals in the NHL. The Pedersen negotiation is going to be so interesting. I mean, obviously a lot depends on how Pedersen plays. There is a chance that if Pedersen doesn't perform for the Canucks over these next two years, if he doesn't pan out into the player that we all know or we all hope he can be, and I think he can be, that the Canucks go like, but I don't even know if I want to commit to you, right? I think one of the big reasons that Pedersen did sign, I, the main reason Pedersen only signed a bridge was the Canucks had salary cap issues. They couldn't afford to sign him long-term. So they signed him to a bridge that brought his cap hit down. Um, but I also think that when he did sign that bridge, there were people in the organization, especially the way he started last season, that were like, thank God he signed a bridge. Sure. I don't doubt that for a second. Yeah, I'm sure that there were some people, and rightfully so, mm. that had some long-term contract trepidation. Sure. Yeah. About Petey. Now, we got a bunch of people weighing in to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 saying that that was a mistake. It might have been a mistake in hindsight. That is the core issue with how the NHL is currently constructed, is the way to win the game, for lack of a better phrase, the way to win the game is to make long-term bets on a short-term body of work. I don't think I'm wrong on this one. Is you get a player and you get him in the system and hopefully over the course of his ELC, you get a real clear example of what he's going to be or what you hope he's going to be at the NHL level. Your next move is to try and lock him up long-term for a number that's going to benefit your club. That's, I think, every general manager's goal. And that's why you see, at times, these guys acting like speculators and traders. I always kind of allude to what Jim Rutherford did in Pittsburgh with John Marino. They had a real small sample size. They liked what they saw, and they yeah. said, let's try and lock him up for a longer term than he would even expect, like six years or whatever it was, at a rate that will make him excited and be beneficial to us. Because remember, when you sign a young guy and you throw $30 million total in front of him, mm -hmm. just say hypothetically six years, $5 million, that's life-altering money for a young guy. That is, I've made it. That is, I am very happy with my financial reward. Here. I'm going to stop working out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You put three million in front of Bruff and I. Never mind thirty. We're like we're done. Do like, you know how many boxes of Oreos I can now afford? Like countless. You could own Oreo if you wanted to get in on the ground floor. <laughs> uh, getting back to the Garland point, and this is a, this is a minor point, but oh, I don't know. You actually don't know if it is minor point because I think the Canucks still could be, depending how the season goes, they might want to make their significant changes. Next offseason, I, I, I think, do we all agree that the Canucks wanted to make more changes this offseason than they did? And the okay. situation just 
didn't allow it. I think sometimes we unfairly infer things on this show, like our wild, baseless speculation. Yeah. I don't think that's the case here. I think it's fair to infer that the Canucks wanted to do more right. when they did this offseason. Okay, so hopefully asset values recover. God, I sound like a financial analyst. Like, hold, well, where are bond prices going? But where are Connor Garland prices going? <laughs> because, again, in a normal in a normal world... Connor Garland is 26 years old. He's a good player. He has what they call cost certainty, and he's got a cap hit below $5 million. There's a lot to like about that. But here's what happened. NHL GMs went, what are your most important players? Centers and defensemen. Not wingers. Sure. And the Canucks have a lot of uh, cap space tied up in wingers. You know, whether it's Garland or, you know, even Tanner Pearson at uh, just over $3 million, uh, Brock Besser at over $6 million. Uh, that is quite a bit locked up in, in wingers. And those were the guys that we were talking about could be moved, right? Especially Garland and Pearson. Um, I know we talked a lot about JT Miller. Some people do consider him a winger. The Canucks consider him a center. But... The hope is that if the Canucks do want to make changes and say a guy like Connor Garland is put on the trade block, that his value has recovered a little bit because people look at the situation and go, you know what, that that might actually be a good deal because with the added cap space, prices once again are going to get bid up for these wingers. Uh, it's going to be interesting how this all shakes out for the Canucks because of a, lo- a, a lot of this analysis could change, Right. Like, let's say the Canucks have a great season, right? Well, we all want that. But I imagine if they have a great season, that Pedersen is a big part of it. And then Pedersen's going to have the hammer in negotiations. And remember, if the Canucks want to, and if Pedersen wants to, they could work on an extension next summer. Mm -hmm. They don't have to wait for his contract to expire. We've seen that actually quite a lot. We've seen a guy, all right, last year of his deal, Uh, I mean, we saw with JT Miller, a bit of a different situation because JT Miller is a pending UFA and Elias Pettersson is a pending RFA. But he's so close to UFA status that you don't really want to mess with things. So that is something that they could, in theory, tackle this coming summer. But, uh, you know, who knows what we're going to be saying about this Canucks team at the end of the season. I actually, heading into the season... I I feel like I have, most of the time I know what's coming. Like I have a general idea of how good the team is or how bad the team is. And for the most part, I haven't been surprised or not, you know, it's it mostly played out, right? I was a little bit surprised how badly they started last year, but I didn't think last year's team was very good. Heading into uh, this season, I really don't know. I, and I don't know if you have a good good sense of it because, you know, I look at this lineup and I go, you know, if everyone's healthy up front, they got good players. They obviously got a great goalie. Uh, they got one of the best young defensemen in the league in, in, in Quinn Hughes. That's the good stuff, right? I look at this roster and say, this roster has every chance to make the playoffs. But I also look at the roster and go, we all, we all know my concerns about um, the defense and – we, I have a slight concern about the quality of the backup goalie just because we don't know if Spencer Martin can do that 
do the backup goalie job on a full-time basis. I hope he can. I'm optimistic he can, but we don't know for sure. I have concern about the makeup of the forward group, and this is something that I agree with with Drance on as much as I don't like to. I look at that group and I go, eh, you know, there's talent there. Is there enough two-way ability? Is there enough high hockey IQ ability on this Canucks team? So I look at them and I go, man, I could see, I could see the Canucks getting 100 points this season. I could see them getting 80. It's fair. I, I, have, a, I have a very clear understanding of what I think the team is going to be, and this isn't exactly revolutionary analysis here. It's that in order for them to be successful – the depth of the forward group and the caliber and quality of the goaltending specifically and really exclusively Thatcher Demko, they're going to make the playoffs. That's going to have to outshine the gaps on the blue line. That your, some of your parts, and this is real basic math, forward and goalie with the greater than defense symbol. And that's what it's going to have to be. Now, the question is, is how is that going to be orchestrated from the man behind the bench, Bruce Boudreaux? Because I think a part of him and this is probably in his wheelhouse, given how he likes to approach the game, is going to have to seed the team over to, we have to let our offensive players do things that will allow us to score goals. So maybe a little bit less of system play and structure, a little bit more of freelancing and taking chances and maybe taking gambles and saying, JT Miller, do the things that make you JT Miller, Pedersen, same deal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Goaltending to me, we probably don't talk about it enough because we kind of chalk it up to being voodoo anyway. And it's not really all that exciting to talk about because we know the stakes here. If Thatcher Demko is good and plays like Demko and plays a lot of games, they have a really good chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. If Demko is not good and doesn't play enough games and we start to see Spencer Martin, there's a wild card. And if Demko's hurt, I would say for any length of time, the season's probably shot. Because not only do you not know what you have with Spencer Martin serving in a backup role, Trying to put him in at any time as a guy to carry the load is a really risky proposition because there's no history there and no body of work that he's done it. So to me, that's where I, I sit. And it seems like really rudimentary analysis to say the goaltending has to be good. But Thatcher Demko was their best player last year. I know that they say it was JT Miller. And I know some people will say it might be somebody else, maybe Quinn Hughes, possibly Elias Pettersson. But make no mistake, they don't go anywhere last year remotely close to the playoffs yeah. if Demko isn't playing, one, the amount of games that he's playing, mm -hmm. and two, playing them at such a high caliber. So we've had a few texts in. Um, did you guys touch on the Francesco Aquilini story in hour one? Um, this text went on. Maybe that's off limits for now. No, it's not off limits. It's in the news. Text goes on. Big allegations. Yeah, serious. Concerning allegations. We, we did touch on the story. In hour one, we talked about it for 15, 20 minutes. We led the show with it. Uh, we're not going to shy away from it, but we also have to acknowledge that there is a lot that we don't know. So all we did really was talk about the, uh, the allegations, which are very serious and disturbing to read, and also allow that Francesco Aquilini has denied those allegations, fully denied those allegations, um, we discussed a little bit about how this is going to affect the team from a business perspective going forward. Um, Francesco Aquilini through his lawyers has released a statement explaining the situation in his words and again, denying the allegations. But I do wonder, um, how there's going to be, 
I guess closure on the situation would would mean I don't know if that's the right word or resolution on the situation. Like people just want to know what happened. People want to know the truth because we've got these very serious allegations on the one hand from his ex-wife and his now adult children. And those are on the record, right? They're in they've been uh submitted as affidavits to not criminal court, but a court. And uh, on the other hand, Aquilini is saying, I deny these allegations fully, and I'm not going to say much more because it is a matter before the court. The challenge is that the court might ne- – the court case is not about those allegations. Correct. So the court may not necessarily rule on those allegations, or I don't even know if there is anything that they can you know, rule on. Is it like they can maybe say, like, I believe the children, or I believe – you know, Francesco Aquilini, right? It's it's very complicated, but people, fans of the team and business partners of the team are going to, are they're going to want to know more. They're going to want to know the details. So is a statement from Aquilini, how long is that going to, going to hold up? This to me doesn't really seem like a story that's just going to be like going away or, or people were, will forget about it. I, maybe it will, but I, I just doubt it. So the Hour One podcast is available for download, Apple, Google, Spotify. And as Jason mentioned, the way that we are addressing the story, given I believe we are the first on Sportsnet 650 to dive into this story head first, is to one, lay out the facts as clearly and concisely as possible. And two, and this is what we did in the podcast with regards to the Francesco Aquilini story, ask the questions and not speculate wildly as to what the answers might be. Because there is a multitude of questions, and we understand that a lot of you might be asking them. Please also remember that this story has been in the public sphere for the better part of 14 hours, including overnight. So it's fair to have a lot of questions that remain unsolved and unresolved. We will do our best to keep you up to speed with everything throughout the morning as we are here until 9 o'clock. And then I would safely assume that the rest of the programming on Sportsnet 650 today will address this story. We'll ask some of these questions. And if there is any news to put forth, or any statement on behalf of Francesco Aquilini or the Canucks, you could expect it to be covered here on Sportsnet 650. Speaking of Sportsnet 650, we still have an hour and a half of programming left here on the Halford & Bruff Show. Uh, We are going to talk to Arash Madani from Sportsnet next about the Toronto Blue Jays. So whatever slim glimmer of hope was left for the Jays to somehow rally and catch the Yankees is done. The Yankees are your AL East champions. That now puts the Jays firmly in a race for the top wildcard spot for the playoffs in Major League Baseball. It was a very eventful night last night in a 5-2 Yankees win over the Jays. There were some heavy critiques lobbed at Vladdy Guerrero Jr. for not running hard enough at a time of the year where you need to run as hard as you can. So we will talk to Arash about all that, all things Blue Jays, coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch the dial. Keep it right here. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Everything in the game today is about, you know, the, the players and the phrase, you know, let the kids play and all of that stuff. Well, years ago, if a player did something like that, where a veteran teammate would sit him down and says, hey, man, you just cost us a game by that effort. We can't have you doing that. And it's not just September, it's every time, every day. And, you know, how much, to, how often do we say it, Dan? Boy, that guy really hustled. Well, that shouldn't be the exception. Right. That should be the norm. But unfortunately, it's not the norm nowadays.
732 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Uh, that voice you just heard, that of Blue Jays play-by-play man Buck Martinez. So yesterday, against the Yankees, with two outs in the sixth inning, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. was thrown out at second base after not running hard out of the batter's box on a hit that scored George Springer. After realizing they didn't have enough distance for a home run, Guerrero Jr. then sped up and attempted to reach second but was called out. Schneider then said, that's John Schneider, the head coach of the Blue Jays, and the manager of the Blue Jays afterwards, that Vladdy flat out needs to run harder. That's inexcusable. We're going to talk to Arash Madani from Sportsnet about that in a moment. Before we get to Arash, I need to take care of some business really quickly. One, all of the Canucks preseason coverage that you've heard on this show thus far is brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern, wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Visit them online at blackandlee.com. Two, this hour of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Three, this show is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Okay, we go to the phone lines now, joined by Sportsnet's Arash Madani here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. First, good morning, Arash. How are you? Good morning, boys. How are we doing? Uh, we're good. Probably better than Vladdy right now. We played the audio of Buck Martinez. Fairly scathing remarks about the lack of effort from Vladdy yesterday in a 5-2 loss to the Jays. What were your thoughts on the play that transpired and then hearing Buck's words in the aftermath? Well, I, I, look, I, I think that it wasn't, first of all, I think it wasn't just Vlad yesterday. That was a very sloppy game by the Blue Jays in a spot where you're not only preparing for the playoffs, but you're in a clinch situation. You're facing a Yankee team that, with a win, can celebrate on your home field, which is exactly what they did. Look at the at-bat previous to Vlad. Bo Bichette hits a double, not paying attention. Maybe like it was accidental, but wasn't paying attention, and gets tagged out because he stepped off the bag. What happened prior to that? Bo Bichette is moving backwards, trying to make a defensive play, while George Springer is charging in, and everybody who's ever played baseball knows that that's the center fielder's call, but Bo waved him off and then doesn't make the play. So it's easy to kind of harp on Vlad, and and Buck was speaking in that clip specifically about that play, but if you actually played that out longer for much of that half inning, Buck was talking generally about they're not kids anymore and it's not just Vlad it's not just Bo it's all of them if if you want to be a championship team you have to tighten things up and play hard and play well and play smart and play disciplined and play it full throttle the entire way and last night the Blue Jays didn't do that so what ends up happening the Yankees are spraying champagne at the end of the night uh, wearing division t-shirts and division caps has this been an ongoing concern? I don't know if it's concern. I think over 162, you've seen flashes of it throughout the season. Um, but, you know, yesterday gets magnified because of the stakes. You know, there are a lot fewer eyes on a May Wednesday in St. Louis on a, on a Tuesday in June in Baltimore. But, you know, yesterday you're in a situation where it could have been 5-4 to four with one out instead it's 5-2 at the end of the inning. And so it's, it's when, when the stakes in late September are magnified. It's when it's late in the game in higher leverage situations. It's when the heart of your lineup is out. 
that this really gets, I don't know, I don't want to say exposed, but it, that the spotlight, it's spotlighted more. And that's exactly what happened last night. The Vladdy thing seems to me kind of, it's, it's not like a lack of experience because everyone knows how to, that they have to run hard in baseball, right? Like, is that just, does that happen? Is that his personality that, that, that sometimes he, he gets? I think it's he the gets, personality of the game now. You think so? Now, like in an era where you now have bat flips, in an era where you're now pimping homers, in an era where you're pounding your chest and me, 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 and I don't want to sound like a fossil here saying this, but I think the byproduct is when that ends up being how you go about it, and I have no problem with it if you do it, what ends up happening is if you think you've hit a home run, that's what you do. Here's the problem. (laughs) It wasn't a home run. There was a minor league game last week, Memphis and somebody. Uh, this was amazing. Uh, yeah, right? The, like, the dude hits a shot to left. <laughs> the wind's just blowing in. Hurricane force winds. He got all of it, and he's running around the bases like he hit a home run. Meanwhile, it's a kind of routine fly ball to left, just shy of the warning track. And it wasn't until he rounded third base when his teammates were like, what are you doing, dude, that he realized it. I, I think that when, when this is kind of the norm – if if it's going to be a liner down the you know the left field line, and you're looking for extra bases, guys are you know bolting out of the box. That that's never been an issue with any of these Blue Jays. It it was the other the night before, Teoscar Hernandez thought he hit a grand slam, and Teoscar was a third of the way around first base when the throw came in and he got caught in between except the throw came to the plate and then he was able to safely get to second unscathed. So it's, it's often the consequence of the action that gets exposed to rather than the act itself. We're speaking to Arash Madani from Sportsnet here on the Halford Bruff show on Sportsnet 650, uh, talking all things Blue Jays as they inch closer and closer to clinching a wild card spot. And I mentioned this Arash because in doing my diligent research for the show, I was scouring oh, through a bunch of research. stories. Okay. One of them was MLB playoff picture. How do the Blue Jays yep. match up with the Tampa Bay Rays? Is it too early to be doing this, the matchup with the Rays, or should we start getting our minds in this mode that it very well could be Tampa Bay in the wild card? Way too early. Okay. It could be Seattle. It could be Tampa. It could be Cleveland. Um, I may or may not have three flights on hold for each of them. Um, the Jays could end up hosting uh, Seattle or Tampa. Um, they're, they're just so the, – the race is so tight, and so many things can change with seven games left for Toronto, seven or eight games left for the other teams. A lot can, can still move around. So um, I, I would uh, – I wouldn't quite – maybe on, by Monday we'll have a bit of a, a bit of an idea, but even on Monday there are six – games between the three teams that can have a lot of implications and um, I just think because the race is so tight it's not specific just to Tampa right now because the Mariners if you look at their schedule and and they've been in a slump shockingly because their 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 opponents have been so inferior but the Mariners have the easiest schedule down the stretch so let's see what Seattle does too okay we'll take it a step back and let's say that Toronto makes the wild card I think it's safe to assume that that's probably a likelihood at this point. How do you see the rotation? How do you see the rotation playing out in the early parts of the postseason? Well, it's two scenarios. The first scenario is 
game 163 next Wednesday. It was game 162 next Wednesday, rather. If the Blue, and the Blue Jays will be in Baltimore. If they're in a situation where they win that game and they would host the wild card series, it's a two out of three this year. There's no travel in the wild card. If they host, we have been told by John Schneider that Alec Manoa will get the ball for that game. Right. Which means Manoa would not be available for that wild card series. They view home field advantage as that important in that spot. And you say to yourself, you don't, you don't want arguably your best pitcher for, for the wild card series. Uh, you, met, you just mentioned Tampa. We were just there on the weekend. They're like 23 games above 500 at home, and they have a losing record on the road. Um, so, so if 162 matters when it comes to home field, it's Manoa, which, which to me would mean then it becomes Gosman, Stripling, Barrios. Now, if it's a scenario where 162, quote-unquote, doesn't matter for home field or the standing, uh, we'd be in a situation where I would think it would be Manoa, Gosman, Barrios, or Manoa, Gosman, Stripling. Um, going games one, two, and then three if necessary. You mentioned um, John Schneider in there, and we've talked a lot about him already because, of course, the comments about Vladdy last night, the decision that's already been made with this game 162 and then 163. How would you grade out the job that John Schneider has done since taking over from Charlie Montoya? Yeah, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, you, you see the imprints that he's made and what's changed. They're a lot more aggressive on the base paths, that's for sure. They're willing to go Jordan Romano, you know, not just in back-to-back days, but to go six innings, to be up and down in the eighth and ninth inning. That's changed. Um, the way he's managed the lineup has been different. And then down the stretch of the season, it became, all right, whoever's performing, whoever's hot, we're going to ride them and we're going to roll with them. It's hard to know, for instance, in that spot, if that's what Montoya would have done or not. Um, but the one thing that, the one sense I've gotten from speaking with, with players and people around the ball club is that there's a lot more communication between the manager and the players. And that was something that the players really wanted and some would say even maybe needed. And guys know kind of where they stand. Guys know what the plan is. Guys know exactly what, you know, what is being asked of them. That's, that's definitely one thing. So you're seeing some things, but I always wonder about, you know, the, the mid season move, you know, Schneider has kept the entire coaching staff. He was on that coaching staff. Um, so you can only do kind of so much in season while the train is kind of going. And it's just a matter of trying to get it a little bit back further on the tracks um, but it's not like the Blue Jays were, you know, 20 games below 500 and he's turned them into a playoff team. Um, matter of fact, when, you know, month of August was the only month of the season they had a losing record, and that was under John Schneider's watch. So it's hard to give a real full evaluation because I know it's been 60-some-odd games, but the sample size from a baseball standpoint is still pretty low. Don't you also need to see him tested in the pressure situations? Like I think about well, some of the young. I think the last six weeks have been pressure situations, honestly. Right, but in in the play, like I'm thinking about, oh god, I mean I'm going hockey here, but like Andrew Brunette with the Florida Panthers was a great coach during the regular season. Then 
you know, not so great in the playoffs and he didn't keep his job, even though he, I believe he was a coach of the year finalist. Uh, I'm thinking about the struggles that I guess that Nathaniel Hackett is going through with the Denver Broncos as a rookie head coach. And I know that's regular season and I'm not trying to downplay the pressure that John Schneider has already faced, but you know, when you get into these situations where every manager is, is under the gun, I'm just wondering how it's going to play. I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I fully disagree. Like, I, I just think that the last three weeks have been playoff baseball. That, you know, the race is so tight, the margin for error is so slim, and the competition is not only high, but the familiarity is very high. And so I, I point to two things, for instance, that happened over the last couple of days. One was Saturday in Tampa. It's a scoreless game. It's the seventh inning. Schneider pinch hits Danny Jansen for Rymel Tapia. Why does that matter? Well, Jansen turns an 0-2 count into a walk. And the next thing you know, Whit Merrifield comes up, hits a three-run home run ball game against a team that you just lost twice to, against a team that has the tiebreaker advantage over you in the playoffs, and against a team that's fighting neck and neck for home field. And afterwards, Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, comes out and says, if Brooks Raley, the relief pitcher, if he had gotten Jansen, we would have walked with Merrifield. Instead, because Jansen took the walk, because of the pinch hitting, Merrifield is able to come up and hit a home run. He's hit six home runs in 16 games in that building. It's crazy. The other day, on Monday night against the Yankees, what do they do? With two on and Aaron Judge coming to the plate, Schneider waits, Judge gets introduced, they then make a pitching change, then they intentionally walk Judge, then they get the ground ball out. It was masterful managing. Yeah, that was awesome. Spots. Yeah, and that's, that to me is major pressure situation. The difference between the end of September and the beginning of October is very, very little. These are where the games are at their highest stakes because if you don't get in, if you don't get in as the interim manager, are you the manager next year? So that that that's where I would say that you know I, I think the pressure is high, is as high now as it would be next Friday when the wild card round starts. Maybe you already you already answered this. Like, can you handicap his odds of being the manager next season? I'd say he's the the clubhouse favorite by far. Yeah. What do you think about the rule about the the best of three, all the games being um, at one site? And the reason I ask this, like, I understand that. Tra- the season was already pushed back, that travel is going to be difficult anyway during the postseason. But I'm thinking about the poor Mariners who have had this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, however long, decades-long postseason drought. And there's a very good chance that they won't even get a home game. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't have been as crappy as they have been for the last 10 days. That's a good point. Well, maybe they shouldn't have been as crappy as they've been over the last two decades. But There you go. There you go. No, I think... I actually think it's necessary, guys. Like when you go with the expanded postseason, um, like what ends up happening is if you want to go one, one, and one, suddenly the wild card round is going to be with travel days and back and forth is going to take almost a week to play three games. And you have to uh, a lot a week in case it's going to be three games. And you end up having four wild card series, two AL, two NL. So it's just going to push everything back. Matter of fact, the, the the wind, the, the calendar is so tight. I was actually looking at it just yesterday, um, looking ahead to some travel. The NLCS goes two three two, 
there is not an off day between games five and six. There could be a scenario where it's Mets, Dodgers, and the NLCS. They're two of the best teams in baseball. They're the two best teams in the National League. You're looking at a six-hour cross-country flight with no off day in between potential clinch, well, an absolute clinching game to go to the World Series. So the calendar is as tight as it is right now based on not going back and forth for the wild card round. And when you increase the number of playoff teams because you want to increase the amount of revenue, this is the consequence of what happens. Uh, before we let you go, Arash, what's it been like having the Aaron Judge traveling roadshow come through Toronto? It was wild. I was there yesterday, guys. And um, Marley Rivera, who covers the Yankees for ESPN, she was saying the other day in New York, there were like 42 media members in the Yankees clubhouse. Uh, there had to have been 25, 30 people just waiting at um, waiting beside the Yankees dugout by the stairs where the players come out, just waiting for judge to come out and hit BP and judge didn't hit BP. Um, you know, just with Sportsnet, we had one camera guy assigned to judge watch. Mario Fontana showed up at two in the afternoon just to get the shot of Aaron arriving at the ballpark that day. So it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. Um, I mean, look, the Jays aren't giving him a pitch to hit, you know, he just keeps walking. He's been disciplined with it. Um, Nobody, as Kevin Gosselin said the other day, nobody wants to be the answer to a trivia question. I saw that. Uh, this was great, Arash. Thanks for doing it, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the next little bit. It should be fun as we get closer and closer to clinching wildcard spots. You got it. Anytime, fellas. Good to catch up with you. Thanks, Likewise. Arash. Thanks, Arash. Uh, that's Arash Mandani from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay. There Would has you like been, to go? Yeah, there has been an NHL statement regarding the uh, allegations made by Francesco Aquilini's children um they are his children if you're just joining us now his children are adults now um but there have been allegations of child abuse in family court and here is the statement that the nhl has released we are aware of the allegations that have been made in the family court proceeding in vancouver and have been in touch with mr aquilini and his lawyers regarding same Clearly, the parties have been involved in a most contentious divorce. Mr. Aquilini has advised us that he categorically denies the allegations. We plan to continue to monitor the situation and, if necessary, will respond as we learn more as events unfold. So, end of statement. The conclusion that I've got from that statement is that the NHL cares about this. And this is not one of those things where they will say, this is his personal matter. This is his private matter. This is Mr. Aquilini's matter. This, by that statement, says that the NHL cares about this and it's going to continue to monitor the situation. And that last part, if necessary, will respond as we learn more as events unfold. So... I think it's important to go over the key points of this story because I saw this story broke on Twitter yesterday and as usual on social media, everyone had an opinion five seconds into the story. There were the people that were obviously outraged and rightly so when you read some of these allegations. And then there were the people that automatically launched into a defense 
of the situation, and we all know how this plays out. It's brutal to watch. It's exhausting to watch, but it happens all the time. Here are the key points. The allegations are very disturbing to hear. The children are adults now, and they've submitted these allegations via affidavits to the court. This is not a criminal case. This is not a case about child abuse per se. It's uh, a child support hearing related to costs for university. And what Francesco Alcalini is saying is he's saying, I want to know more about these expenses for university. I want to know if my kids are attending classes. I want to know why this costs so much. I want to know why that costs so much. But his adult children are saying, we don't want to tell you anything because we don't want to have any contact with you. So that's the dispute. It does not seem in dispute, again, that his children wish to have no contact with him. And according to the story and according to Francesco Aquilini's um, lawyer, he's actually willing, Mr. Aquilini, to have his children just tell Francesco Aquilini's lawyer the information without Francesco Aquilini knowing about the information. Obviously, that's not something that his children want right now. So... We are going to be in wait-and-see mode on this. But the one thing that we've discussed is if we don't have some sort of resolution from the court matter, and I don't necessarily think we will because, again, this is not – it's not like the judge is going to rule on those allegations. The judge, if anything, is going to rule on whether or not – Information needs to be passed on. More information needs to be passed on to Francesco Aquilini or if Francesco Aquilini just has to come up and pay whatever child support is, is owing. So how do we get to a resolution? Because to me, this just doesn't seem like a story that's going to go away. Like we're going to be in a month and be like, oh, whatever happened to that, right? It just doesn't seem like that's that type of story with the story being in the public sphere for approximately 14 to 16 hours. There are a lot of questions that have been asked and understandably uh, very few answers that have been forthcoming. If you download the hour one of the Halford and Bruff podcast, you can go back and listen to our initial assessment of the allegations as they were presented with, again, as factually accurate as we can be. Also a lot of the questions that we had asked, without having the concrete answers, but questions that either the social sphere has asked or that Jason and I have come up with. And one of the first ones was, will we hear from the NHL on this? That was part of the hour one programming. We have heard from the NHL on this. So it leads us to believe that a lot of the other questions that we have asked will eventually be answered, or we will hear from more parties with more information as this continues to be monitored from all parties involved. Uh, a reminder, Hour 1 and Hour 2 shortly will be available for download the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can download it now. Hour 3 is just on the other side of the break. We're going to talk to Sportsnet's Dan Murphy about all things Canucks. There was a lot, a lot of on-ice news yesterday with regards to the Vancouver Canucks pertaining to the injuries to Brock Besser, the injury to Ilya Mikhaev, the ascension in role for Nils Hoaglander as a result of those injuries. So we can talk to Murph about all of that coming up next. Also in the next hour, 8.30, we're going to do what we learns. We don't have a lot right now, 
So please get them in. Hashtag them WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? The Dunbar Lumber text message in basket is 650. 650. It is the Smalt alternative. Get those in. It's your chance to be on the radio. We will commit the final half hour of this program to all humanoid what we learns. So again, Murph and what we learns. It's all coming up next. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650.